Good morning, church. <laughs> well, here we are. <laughs> uh, glad to be together with you this morning. And we're going to be taking a look at the last couple of phrases uh, in the study that we've been doing together. This is a series that we've called Teach Us to Pray. And there's a lot of things that we do in church for a lot of different reasons. And some of them are good reasons, and some of them are neutral reasons, and some of them are bad reasons. And so we want to give some thought, we want to give some attention to the places where God is really clear about what he expects for us to do. Because he gives us a lot of freedom in how we talk to him and how we pray and how we uh, worship him. But he also has some expectations. He also, like in certain places, will really clearly articulate, hey, this is what I actually want for you to do. And so in those instances, I think it, we do well to actually zero in and pay attention to the places where he gives us instruction. Um, I don't know if you're like me. I actually need some guardrails. I need some structure in my life. Is there anybody who, who knows that about themselves? Yeah? Okay, you guys, okay. It took me a long time to realize that that is actually what I needed in my life. I thought that I just needed all the freedom. Um, I'm, I'm kind of wired as a creative person, and so I just want to be able to express myself freely. I want to be able to feel all the feelings, and I want to, like, I don't want a schedule. I don't want an appointment. I don't want to have to be anywhere. I don't want to have to be on time. And I realize, or I have been realizing, I guess I should say, that actually that little bit of structure gives me a better expression of the things that God is leading me to. So those feelings aren't necessarily bad, but if I hang them on a structure, um, a little bit of structure, then that um, helps them to work better. So in the same way, God does give us some instructions. He gives us some things that he wants for us to, to um, focus in on and some things that he wants for us to do. And that little bit of structure gives us more freedom to be able to do the things that he wants for us to do. So when we're talking about prayer, when we're talking about talking with God, then, you know, we're like, okay, well, I can, if I'm just talking with God, then I can talk with God and that's fine. Um, I can use the words that I grew up using, or I can use the words that I use with my friends, and all of that is well and good, but, we have, but there's one particular time where Jesus, not one particular time, but there is a time that we are looking at together, where Jesus points, stops and says, hey, this is what I want for your prayer life to look like. These are the, these are the things that are essential. This is the structure. This is the framework that's going to give you the creative freedom to really express yourself and to grow in your relationship with God. There's one other thing that stru structure, a little bit of structure does for us, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I spend a lot of time with plants um, in my day job, and uh, vines are really, really interesting. I don't know if you've ever noticed driving down the road, Florida is like heaven for vines. And what vines do is vines just kind of grow. And where vines grow is wherever they feel like it. Like, whatever they can get to, that's the direction that they're going to go. Um, and the thing that really, really helps vines to grow well is if they have a little bit of structure to hang on to, they have some kind of a trellis. Now, in Florida, uh, given enough time, tr whole trees will become trellises for, for certain kinds of vines. Um, and, and the vines get fruitful, they grow up, and they even grow so big that they end up killing the tree. Um, that's not really what our goal is with prayer. 
Um, but these instructions and these principles that we've been looking at in what we call the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer or the Our Father, those principles are going to give us structures to have a thriving prayer life. All right? So this is a series we've been working on together for a number of weeks. We're going to be looking at the last phrases um, together, and so I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the other sermons um, they all kind of build on each other, and uh, particularly as we get to the points that we're talking about today, uh, these ideas are probably some of the most difficult to really wrap our heads around, more importantly, to wrap our hearts around, um, and that's because they all are connected to the other ideas as well. So I just invite you, as is our habit and our, our practice together, if you would pray with me as we begin and we will pray together the disciples' prayer before we talk a little bit more in depth about what it is that we're asking God to do. So would you pray together with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, is where we find uh, the disciples' prayer, one of the places that we find it. It's also uh, recorded in Luke. Um, but we're going to be looking at it in Matthew chapter 6 in verses, uh, we're going to start in verse 12 today. And if you're using the blue Bibles that are on the chairs in front of you, it's on page 1012. Uh, 1012 in these blue Bibles, Matthew chapter 6. And these are the verses that if you are praying the disciples' prayer, if you're praying the Lord's prayer together with a group, um, verse 12 is actually where everybody starts to mumble. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed that, that if you've got a, a, a group of people from different backgrounds, if they are praying together the Lord's Prayer together, there's, there's a point in which everybody is saying something slightly different, and we're all a little bit uncomfortable, like, oh, am I, do am I the one who's wrong in this? Like, what's going on? So we're going to talk a little bit about why that is, um, and uh, yeah, it's going to be clearly for, or it's going to be a little bit clear to us. So Matthew chapter six, verse twelve begins with an and. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So the first part of that sentence is give us this, give us this day our daily bread. We talked about that in our closing last week, so I'm not going to address a ton of that this morning, but. The idea, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Um, debt is a big word, and I don't know that we typically think about it so much when we're thinking about prayer. When I think about prayer, I think about spirituality, I think about connection with God, I think about all this kind of stuff, but unless I'm like really, really burdened and like praying, God, would you please help me get out from underneath this debt? Um, typically, debt is not an idea that is kind of connected with our prayer life, but for Jesus, it was something that was important enough that in this short encapsulation of what our prayer should look like, he says, this needs to be an idea of what you're thinking about. Um, and I'll tell you where I started, 
And I'll tell you where I ended, because this is one of those verses that I thought I knew until I spent time with it and was, was working through it. So when I, when I read, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, I'm like, oh, okay, this is about forgiveness, and this is about, like, spiritual forgiveness. Like, we're talking about spiritual debt. Like, of course, of course, like, I'm thinking of in Matthew chapter 18, when Jesus tells the parable of the unforgiving uh, servant, he has a servant in mind who was forgiven a huge huge, huge amount of debt, and that, sermon, that servant, having forgi- received forgiveness for this debt that he carried, goes to somebody else who owes him money, a really minuscule amount of money compared to the amount that he was just forgiven, and he beats the guy, and he throws him in jail until he gets his money back. Like, somebody who had received forgiveness withholds it from other people, and when I read that, I go, oh, well, that's clearly some kind of a spiritual thing, because I do that in my heart all the time. Um, but debt, the word for debt, like, yes, it has spiritual connotations, but the primary meaning and the way that we use it in common parlance and the way that the, the biblical people in the biblical world also used it was referring to money. God, forgive us our debts, forgive us our financial debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So am I not allowed to have somebody owe me money? Um, like the, because this is, this is the way that it's phrased, right? It's phrased, forgive me for the things that I owe you financially, God, the same way that I forgive other people. So the assumption is I want God to forgive me of the things that I owe him, and so I will also extend the kind of forgiveness that I'm asking him to do. This is, this is not a prayer I want to pray. I don't want God's relationship with me to be affected by and to be modeled after the way that I treat other people because I'm not really that nice. I want God to be nicer to me than I am to other people. And so for Jesus to put this, this principle in the prayer, our model of prayer, that the way that God interacts with me is somehow correlated to how I'm interacting with other people, like, no, 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 no. That's not, I don't want that God. I want the God that's like, super gracious and super loving and it's like oh no, no, like let me let me take the weight of your sin and your debt and I will pay for it for you like I want that God I don't want the God that is is petty and, and bitter the way that my heart tends to be when I'm left to my own devices and I think it's important to remember that this this principle is connected to the first part of the sentence give us this day our daily bread Give us the sustenance, the food that we need, our daily provisions, our um, material provisions, we talked about that, but also our spiritual provisions. Like, God, give us, just give me what I need to make it through the day. And also, help me to remember to extend forgiveness to those that I'm walking with. Help me to remember that the financial, monetary things that I tend to get fixated on and I tend to expect other people that they must pay me back and I'm going to break relationships with people because of the money they owe me. Help me to remember that the financial things that I tend to be focused on are distractions or can be distractions from what God is doing in and among people. That's hard. 
uh, you guys are probably more spiritual than me. Maybe it's easy for you. But as I come to that, I'm going, uh, Jesus, I, I don't know if I can pray like that. I don't know if my heart is there. I need that money back. <laughs> Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Two questions here. I normally only ask one, but I've got two because this is a big idea. What do we owe to others? This, with this idea of debt, like what is, it, what is it that we owe to others? And how do we, re- if, if there's this idea of financial accountability with spiritual responsibility, does that change how we look about the debt that we take on? I'm not sure that I have complete clarity on the answer to that question, but I think it's a question worth asking and spending some time dwelling on. What do we owe to others? I'm, I'm aware that in, in Romans, uh, the end of Romans chapter 13, it, it closes with a, a sentence that goes to the effect of, owe nobody anything except this, honor to whom honor is due and love to whom love is due. Have no debts except to owe them what you owe them relationally, I think is a really interesting guiding principle. What do we owe to others? And also, what invoices are we holding on to? You, do you know what an invoice is? I'm not going to assume you do, because I did not. Um, I, I work landscaping, and uh, usually what that means is that I'm the guy that the boss calls and says, hey, go dig a hole, and I go and dig the hole, and he's like, all right, fill that hole back in, and I fill the hole back in, and then I get in the truck and I go home. Like, I go and do what he tells me to do, and then I come back. But there was a time where my boss handed me a blank invoice, and says, I want you to go, and I want you to go dig the hole, and then you fill the hole back in, and then write on the invoice that you dug the hole and how much you're going to charge for it, and then give it to the customer. That's a different, like, I don't, I'd never done that before. I'd never asked people for money. Like, I'm comfortable with my boss expecting people to pay us for our work, but for me, I just, like, this is my job. Like, they're not paying me, they're paying him, and he's going to pay me later, and it, like, It took me a while to wrap my head around it and be comfortable with writing an invoice. But when you write an invoice, unless they pay you on the spot, all you have is a piece of paper that says, hey, I did work, and uh, and this is what I'm hoping that you'll pay me back for it. Um, And that's all you got. So what invoices are we holding on to? What are the debts that we are, like, we've got... um, (laughs) What's our ledger look like when we're thinking about how we interact with other people? Financially, yes. I think we should consider that financially. And is it worth breaking relationships with people over the amount of money that they owe you? That's a, a question that you're going to have to wrestle with in your, in your own time and, and with your spiritual community, with the people that you trust to answer these questions with you. Um, but rela- like beyond that, what, what like relational debts... What relational invoices are we holding on? You did this to me, and I expect you to do that to make it even, and I'm going to hold on to this invoice for the rest of my life. And you may not ever know that you owe me, but I've got it written down right here in my heart. 
What invoices are we holding on to? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Here's our big idea for the morning. Our heart towards other people impacts our connection with God. Our heart towards other people impacts our connection with God. Um, The book of James is a fascinating book. If you haven't read it here recently, I just encourage you. All of the principles of the Lord's Prayer are like brought out and expanded in the book of James. And one of them is, is this, like the heart speaks, or the mouth speaks out of the wellspring of the heart. And if, and a spring cannot put out both salt and fresh water simultaneously. If there's salt in the water, it's salt water, right? I'm not talking about like, Minerals. I, I get that it's not completely pure. I'm not trying to get that detailed, but I'm just saying as, in a principle, if there's salt in the water, it's salt water. Salt springs, you could drink it, but we call it salt springs because it tastes salty. And out of salt springs does not also come fresh springs. In the same way, our hearts, we, we, tend to, we tend to think and compartmentalize our hearts and thinking like, okay, I can go and like have a great relationship with God. I can go to church. I can sing the songs. I can feel connected with God spiritually. And then I can be super angry at my brother on Wednesday for the thing that he did or didn't do or the thing that they said or didn't say or however. The thing that we are quick to forget is that we are whole persons. Everything that we do, we do with our whole self. And we only have one self. And so if there's bitterness in our hearts towards another person, that impacts the kind of relationship that we can have with God. Our heart towards other people impacts our connection with God. So we pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Oh yeah, God, thanks for the reminder. I need to go and settle that debt either by settling it and giving them what I owe, or by settling it and just forgiving it and rebuilding the relationship. Our hearts towards other people impacts our connection with God. The next phrase in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 13, closes um, the disciples' prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, What is temptation? Uh, I'll just be honest with you. A little bit behind the scenes here, I struggled a lot this week to try to figure out, like, what kind of image can I use to communicate temptation that's not going to be offensive or inappropriate? So what is temptation? Temptation is is that desire for something that that it starts with a desire for something, Um, And then you come to realize, like, maybe that thing isn't what's best for me. Maybe it's something that God has told me absolutely is not what's best for me. Um, And yet I still want it. I want that desire. I have this feeling of this thing that I want. And that is temptation, that moment of deciding, of coming to grips with your desire and coming to grips with what is actually good for you at the same time. Sometimes it's a cookie. Sometimes it's the whole jar of cookies. Right? 
Okay. All right, it's just me. All right, cool. But again, I'll point you back to James. In James chapter 1 and verses 13 through 15, which is the passage that we read together this morning, temptation is a step on the path towards spiritual death. I'm, I'm going to turn there real quick. You don't have to. If I can get there fast, I would be really happy about that. James chapter 1, those verses that we read this morning, I just want to, I want to, I want to say this the way that it's written and not off my head. Um, let no one when he is tempted, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, step one. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, which is temptation, desire, temptation, sin. And then sin, after it's given birth, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We tend to think of sin, and especially like little sins, as like not that big a deal. The scripture's pretty clear, like sin, the ultimate end of sin is death every time. And so temptation is a step on the path towards spiritual death. Now, um, cookies are definitely a temptation. There are other temptations, and I can list them for you, or you can just pause for a moment and think about it, because I'm sure there's something bubbling up behind your heart. Anger, greed, lust. dissatisfaction, uh, cynicism. Temptation may be moral. It may be something that is a moral category, like the way that we might be tempted sexually as a moral category of temptation, where we have strong desires that may or may not be helpful for us to follow through on, depending upon the relationship or the covenant or things like that, uh, of, our, of our marital status. Um, but, especially in light of the rest of what we're talking about here, temptation may also be a temptation towards unforgiveness. In, in light of all that what's God, what God is pointing out here in this prayer, the, the, the temptation I think that perhaps we're most often led to and most often led to ignore is the temptation to hold unforgiveness and a grudge against somebody who's wronged us. We talked about this um, in the series that we just finished a couple weeks ago. The series was called, Is He Worthy? And we were looking at Luke chapter 17, and it's really clear there that the temptation that um, the disciples were wrestling with wasn't a temptation for moral failure, which is serious and needs to be considered, but was a temptation for, towards unforgiveness. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Evil, uh, depending on which version of the Bible you're looking at, you might notice it either will say, deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. Um, I don't typically like to talk about it because I don't want it to be confusing. I want you to have confidence that when you read your English translation, you can read it and understand it for yourself. But it is an English translation. Like the New Testament was written originally in a language called Greek. I don't speak Greek, and it was an old version of Greek, so it's even weirder than the normal Greek that they speak in Greece today. And the word there for evil is, the grammar's really interesting. It's a, it's a word that has a definite article. It has a the. So it is the evil. 
deliver us from the evil, which is kind of strange, but it isn't the evil as a noun, it is the evil as an adjective, okay? So it's, an adjective is a word that describes something. It's not just a person, place, or thing. An adjective is a thing that describes something. So deliver us from the evil describing something. And then the case of it is another thing where it's not really clear exactly what category of evil we're talking about here. He may be talking about the evil one, the, the, the tempter. He may be um, talking about the devil here. Or if we take it in relationship to uh, temptation to forgive or temptation to hold unforgiveness, deliver us from the evil one might be the person that we're having conflict with. Or it may just be evil in general, the, the, the evil that uh, we're tempted towards in our heart. Like the way that it's phrased in the Greek um, is squishy. I, I, I want to put it in a box and I can't fit it in there. So if, if you're into reading old languages, like I'd encourage you to look at that grammatical thing. Um, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from evil. There's times where we're like, God, I know I'm going to be tempted in this situation. And then we walk into that room. <laughs> like if I go on the other side of the door, I know I'm going to be tempted. And then we open up the door and we just walk in. Um, unwise, especially if you have a choice about whether you're going to walk in. There are times where we can't avoid situations and we have to ask God to go with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Like there's times where we have to just deal with the people. There are times where we just have to deal with the evil. And so we're trusting that God's going to fight alongside us in those times. But then there's times where we can avoid it. And God give us the wisdom, give us the discernment to remove ourselves from situations that are going to cause us to be tempted. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from evil. Us. It's something that I pointed out a couple of weeks ago. It's something that's been persistent through this prayer. When Jesus talks about how we should pray, he doesn't talk about how you should pray. He talks about how we should pray. Our Father in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus' picture of prayer includes the category of going and pray, praying in your closet privately, because he actually talks about that in the verses right beforehand. Um, but when he talks and gives instructions over his disciples about how to pray, he says, I want y'all to pray together. And when you pray, don't just pray for yourself. Pray for y'all, everybody together. Deliver, not, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I tend to get so fixated on the spiritual battle that I am in that I forget that my brothers and sisters also stand under the same kind of fire. So how are we invested in our neighbor's victory over evil? Not just our own, like we're, we're praying for our own. I don't feel like I have to convince you that you should pray that God would help you in temptation. Like I think that that's a category of, uh, of spiritual, like, okay, I get that. If I need help, I ask for help, I can kind of do that. I get that. But 
How are we invested in our neighbor's victory over evil or over the evil one? Are we praying for them? Are we asking them how it's going? Are we having conversations with them about their temptation or their unforgiveness? Are we being transparent with them about our struggle? Because perhaps the answer to God's deliverance or how God's going to deliver us from evil is answered in our community. He's going to surround you with people that are going to continue to point you to Christ. And you're going to say, yeah, this, this thing that I'm tempted towards isn't worth it. How are we invested in our neighbor's victory over the evil one? Because our heart towards other people impacts our connection with God. So if we were praying together, and I'll go back to the slide, when we do this together on, on Sunday morning when we pray together, the, the traditional ending of the disciples' prayer is, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But you'll notice that when I formatted this for the slide, I put those lines on a different slide, or on a different line, and they're not in quotation marks. That's a traditional ending to the prayer um, that we pray together, but it's not how it's recorded in Scripture. The, the ending, the, the um, amendment, addendum, addendum, the addendum to the prayer, as Jesus teaches it, is in verse 14, Matthew chapter 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So here's where um, the the conversation, uh, or the, here's where when we're praying this prayer together, there's, there's that stumbling. Different traditions for different historical reasons have chosen to translate this passage differently. And so when they pray it together, they either say, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, or forgive us our trespasses, which is the one that I think is most common, um, particularly from more liturgical backgrounds. They'll put the trespasses there. Um, or there's a, 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 more modern, um, a more modern school of thought that translates that sin. So forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. So depending upon which church tradition people come from, they tend to obviously use their traditional prayer in here. So I think debts is pretty clearly the way to translate the Greek word. But there are some who took verse 14 and tried to tie verse 14 back into verse 12 by using the same word there, trespasses. But there are actually two different words in Greek. One, which clearly means financial debt, and the other one is, is the same thing that we understand trespass to be. What is trespassing? Yeah, going somewhere you're not invited. Going somewhere, being in a place that you weren't supposed to be at. Um, being on other people's property without their permission or their, uh, um, yeah, their invitation. That's a great way to put it, Mary. Forgive us our trespass, or if you do not, or, pardon me. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So there are two distinct words here, and I think that this is why I landed on 
a stronger consideration of debt and our relationship to finances in the Lord's Prayer in the earlier verse. Because in the earlier verse, it's talking about finances, like there's no way around it, it's not spiritualized. But here in this verse, trespasses is a more general term. And I think that's where we open it up to, to interpret the debt before as also a spiritual debt, but primarily a financial debt. But here, if you forgive others your trespasses, if you forgive others when they cross a line somewhere in your life, if you forgive others when they end up on your property without your permission, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Our heart towards other people impacts our connection with God. And if you come from a school of thought similar to the one that I grew up in, these verses make you really uncomfortable. What do you mean that God won't forgive me? If I ask God to forgive me, he's faithful and just to forgive me. Like, what, like my salvation is secure. Once I'm saved, I'm always saved. And so what do you mean, like, if I'm praying this prayer as a believer, but I'm, I've got unforgiveness in my heart towards somebody else, is God going to take his forgiveness back? Is he going to unforgive me? Is he going to unsave me? from the fate that he saved me from? Is he going to put me back in the kingdom of darkness now that he's delivered me into the kingdom of light? Like, how do I reconcile this verse? If you, do you feel that tension? Yes? Anybody? Okay, it might, it might just be me. If you feel that tension, feel that tension. Jesus is deliberate. Jesus knows your heart. Jesus understands how you're going to want to interact with these verses. And so he's very specific about the way that he has phrased this. If you feel tension in looking at a passage that says, well, my relationship with other people impacts my connection with God, and you go, well, God's, God's grace is perfect, and it's, it's, it's extensive, and it's massive, like... He can't unforgive me. That's, that's, part, that's the rules. He's not allowed to do that. Sit in that tension for a minute. Consider the parable of the unforgiving servant. Ask yourself how I could be the recipient of such great grace and still withhold it from my neighbor. Have I really come to grips with what God has done on my behalf? if I'm still willing to hold bitterness in my heart against my sister who sinned against me. I don't want to put a bow on it for you. Theologically, all of the things that I said I think are true, you're not going to become unsaved. But that tension that you feel in your heart about, well, if I don't forgive that person, is God going to be mad at me? Like, you should lean into that tension, not so that you doubt your salvation. You should lean into that tension to step into your salvation, to say, God, if you can forgive me, if you have forgiven me, then I also can forgive my neighbor. If you've forgiven me and your blood has covered all of my sin because I'm astonished at how much sin God covered. I thought I knew when I trusted Jesus how much sin he had paid for, but I was 
14 or 15 at the time. I had no idea how much more sinning I had to do in my life. And I'm surprised every time I come to God and his throne of grace and I say, God, would you, you have forgiven me. How did you forgive me for that before? Like, how did you know I was going to do this and you still offered me that forgiveness? Like, how great, what is the depths of your grace? And how can I show that to my wife? How can I show that to my family? How can I show that to my neighbor? Would you change my heart? If I am so fixated on what they owe me, I'm so fixated on grabbing onto that invoice and saying, no, 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 we're going to settle this and you're going to pay me what I deserve. God, would you show me the riches of your grace and your forgiveness? This isn't the only place it shows up in Scripture, just to point out. There's some other things that are going on in the passage, but in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, um, Peter warns husbands. He says, husbands, like you need to show honor to your wife and you need to take care of your wife because you should take care of your wife lest your prayers be hindered. If you're not investing and being gracious and, and, and pouring into the people that are most dependent upon you, it's going to affect your connection with God. There's going to be static in the line. The signals are not going to come through in the same way. I don't know if I can do this. I'll just remind you that the whole practice of prayer, as we've talked about, is that Jesus is aligning us with God. As we pray, Jesus is aligning us and aligning our hearts with God. And, and God's honor is the focus and the power of our prayers. Not my honor, not me getting what I deserve or what I earned, not treating myself. God's honor is the focus and the power of our prayers. And remember also that Jesus is making us ambassadors of his extraterrestrial kingdom. He's, he's forming in us something that doesn't exist on earth apart from his spirit. So who is God leading us to forgive? And as we answer that question, as we look for strength to have those conversations, Can we lock arm in arm together and understand that we're all imperfect and we're all on this journey of following Jesus together? Can we support one another? Can we help our brothers and sisters here, church, to forgive the people in their lives that need to forgive? It matters because our heart towards people impacts our connection with God. Would you pray with me? Lord, this is, this, is, this is hard. These are verses that we thought we knew. These are verses that we're familiar with. These are verses that are cross-stitched and hung on our wall. 
a pattern of prayer that we've recited these words before, but God, maybe this is the first time we're connecting with the heart of the attitude that you wanted to convey in it. So Father, would you wrap us in your arms and would you lead us and guide us as we seek to honor you with our lives? Would you make your name honored in our world, among our neighbors and among our family, among people who are far from you? Would you honor your name through the way that we're living our lives and the way that we're seeking you? Would you, would you fix what's broken on the earth? God, would your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Would you, would you make things to work the way they're supposed to work? Would you help us to be uh, walking in your spirit the way that you meant for us to walk, full and rich lives, generously sharing and forgiving towards everyone else? Would you give us what we need for today? Oftentimes, we don't know what that is, but we trust you to know and to provide. Would you forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors? Would you give us the wisdom to know what invoices to lay aside and write off to restore relationships and to... follow you in those, and God, would you lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from all shapes and forms of evil. Would you lead us to step fully into the forgiveness that you've given to us, to walk in that forgiveness and to extend it towards those who wrong us? in all ways. This can be deep work. This can take a long time. But Lord, we trust you and we trust that you have put us in a family to work on this together. So Lord, would you bind us together in your spirit to live out these truths and to bring glory and honor to your name and in this neighborhood, in this city and in this world. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.